0: In a big firm, um, since every engagement has to be profitable, they're trying to maximize profitability on every engagement. The firm spends a lot of energy and time on getting those really big profitable engagements and doesn't want the small ones, which might be bookkeeping a lot of the time. But what they fail to see is that even though bookkeeping may have a very low margin, having the client talking to you every month gives you many, many opportunities to upsell additional services. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver.
1: And I'm David Leary. Happy Thanksgiving weekend.
0: Happy Thanksgiving to you, David. Did you go out shopping for Black Friday? No, I do
1: not do that. I, yes. <laughs> I'm at a stage in my life where it's like we have everything we need.
0: So are you a, a Cyber Monday shopper or are you just not, not Even shopping? Even that,
1: like you cut back on that too. Yeah. Okay, I used to be very into that like Cyber Monday thing.
0: Well, when we get into the news, I have a story about Amazon, which is super relevant to Cyber, Cyber Monday shoppers, of course. And I think uh, something interesting about their business strategy that I found a way to apply to accounting firms and how they think.
1: And none of my articles read it back to Thanksgiving weekend, unfortunately.
0: Well, you tweeted, you tweeted at like...
1: I did tweet on Thanksgiving morning. morning. I did tweet on Thanksgiving <laughs> morning.
0: <laughs> and you were tweeting about Gusto and Zenefits no longer being uh, friends.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, yeah. cause I got the puppy. So my puppy likes to wake up at four thirty in the morning. So I have to go outside and it's a nightmare right now. It's just puppies, man. That's how it is. And, um, so I'm out there and I'm just like kind of scrolling through the news, you know, preparing for the podcast. And I see this article about, uh, Gusto and benefits, And I almost forgot about that. This happened. Um, Scott Orn, who was on the podcast probably almost over a year ago, he's with Cruise Consulting. Mm-hmm. He actually has his own podcast called uh, Startups with Friends. Uh, no, Founders and Friends. Founders and Friends. Founders and Friends. So he released kind of like a special episode last week sometime, and he was talking about the impact that Gusto and benefits are going to have because they're not their APIs aren't tying back together. Mm-hmm. They're not talking to each other. And this goes back to what we talked about two weeks ago or whatever. I think I posed that question, like, what happens when these companies stop working together? what happens
0: but, yeah like what happens when for business reasons somebody decides just to shut off their api and no longer connect with a certain payroll provider or general ledger or whatever right yeah
1: and like, i posed it like what if it's at a bigger platform accounting platform level right and it's exclusivity with apps right but what was the reason
0: that you originally said that i can't even remember
1: um we were talking about the uh streaming wars right oh
0: right right right
1: like like Netflix lost all the Disney movies all the other streaming companies now lost all right. the Disney movies, all the Marvel movies, right? Because it's exclusive, right? And now-
0: Nobody's sharing their content anymore. They're all building their own services. And now right. I think
1: if you want to watch the Martin Scorsese movies, they're all only on Netflix, right? Right. It's that, that game of being exclusive. So we kind of were talking about this, like what happens? Well, then of course- Served up on a platter. Here's two apps that have turned off. The, the APIs are no longer talking to each other.
0: It's almost like you somehow had advanced notice of this or you no, must have just been not. like feeling the energy
1: <laughs> in the space. Well, things go like, like the pendulum swing, right? Yeah. Right. And I think we, we, we had a big swing towards open APIs. And we'll now, you know, are we seeing a swing the other way? I don't know. And I think this could be an example, an argument of, yes, it's swinging the other way. So, yeah. So, I tweeted out essentially like, at 5 a.m. after I read the article. So, the article was in Accounting Today. And the title of the article is...
0: Gusto and Zenefits Abruptly and Key Integrations, Customers Scramble.
1: So, I read this article and it's, it's not customer focused. And I'll skip right to Scott Oren. He actually is quoted in the article. So, Scott Ornn, he's the chief operating officer of um, Cruise Consulting. And they they basically do accounting and HR services for over 200 startups.
0: Yep. VCFO as well. They're like, yeah, full stack. Great example of a modern accounting firm serving uh, mostly startups in the Bay Area. They're in San Francisco.
1: Yeah. And so he kind of uh, calls, up, calls them out in this article. And he's like, he says, we really like the people at both companies. But this is one example of not putting the customer first. And both companies have built their brand on a customer first approach.
0: And essentially, yeah. Let's talk about why this happened, right? What's the what's the reason behind it? Because
1: I'll get into yeah. that. So essentially, the the reason you might use both is yes, about eighty percent of the features between two, both products probably overlap, but about twenty percent don't. And you might be using twenty percent of Zenefits, and you might be using one hundred percent of Gusto, or you might be using twenty percent of Gusto and one hundred percent of Zenefits, depending on what your needs are. Well, um, and 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 if they
0: ha- did not have an integration and we're going to build one today, it wouldn't happen because they overlap so much, right? They are total heads up competitors because they both offer payroll and they both offer HR, but they didn't start that way. Originally, Gusto was payroll only and recently started adding HR and benefits and whatnot. And a long time ago, Zenefits was only HR compliance uh, benefits and whatnot, and they didn't offer any
1: payroll. Am I right? Well, and then me being this is what got me so upset, right? I come from that right. open ecosystem world. I launched both these apps on Intuit and QuickBooks. Intuit had a billion-dollar payroll division and still let Zen Payroll at the time, which is now Augusto, come on the platform. They were at Zenefits, come on the platform, even though they threatened that billion-dollar payroll division. It's about, it's about a more mature view, right? And mm-hmm. uh, you can think about EDP paychecks now sync and work with Intuit. And vice versa. QuickBooks syncs with those. And 15 years ago, a very immature view of the world was: no, we don't care if they're a paying customer; they will pay that penalty and download that CSV file, import it in every time, or right, manually right. do work. It's a very immature view of the, of the ecosystem. And now companies have a mature view.
0: Okay, let's let's uh, let's save that debate yeah. okay. for, for, for for just and a few moments details, from now. Yeah. Well, and let's read the statements from each of the developers so uh, which one do you want to read Do you want to read zenefits or gusto's
1: well let me let me frame this up first so the both of these statements from zenefits and gusto are from quote-unquote a spokesperson and so as soon as i see things like that it's not a quote from some direct person maybe we're familiar with at those companies it always feels like this is a, a legal game or a negotiation game it's pr and, it, and it's, it's a pr game for sure so do you want to read the zenefits one
0: okay, i read the zenefits one okay Zenefits still has an integration with Gusto for Payroll. Gusto required that we modify our payroll integration using the latest version of their API, which does not support the same features as the current integration. Effective next month, joint customers who continue to use Gusto for Payroll will need to manually enter information the API does not support, such as banking
1: and tax details. Now you read the Gusto one. We asked Zenefits to update their practices for how they were using the integration because the approach they were using created risk of sensitive customer information falling into the wrong hands. Our request was for Zenefits to comply with our existing policies, which all of our partners do. None of this is a result of any new changes that Gusto has implemented. All of our external API documentation is public at docs.gusto.com. These security protocols exist in order to keep customer information secure and private. We believe that keeping customer information secure and private is, in fact, being customer first.
0: Okay, so may I tell you where I come down on this and why?
1: Yeah, because I have a whole soapbox, so I'm ready to get on it. So I'll let you go first.
0: So here's how I see it. I see this as... Gusto upgraded their API, which happens all the time, and they are requiring all of their partners to move to their 2.0 or 3.0 or next version of their API, whatever that is, to be more secure. And it sounds to me, from this article, like Zenefits declined to do that. They declined to put in the engineering effort to upgrade to the newer version of the API. And Gusto shut off the old one, and Zenefits says, all right, well, you know, now... That's fine. Our customers will just have to manually import certain data into Gusto. So to me, whose fault is that? It's not like Gusto can go over to Zenefits and build their app for them, right? And it's also not appropriate if the old integration was less secure to continue to maintain that. So I come down on Gusto's side here.
1: Yeah. And I, yes, it's probably what happened. But I went back to the way, way back machine to look at Gusto's APIs and I, from what I could tell, they're very, very similar. I mean, they they got rebranded, right? It went from ZenPayroll to Gusto. There was a period of time when they were not taking any more integrations public, publicly. Like, basically, you had to apply. They basically, they, they, started, they turned their API from being open API to a private API.
0: And that's the way it is now, right?
1: And that's the way it is now. Gusto doesn't have, like, a developer site as far as, like, a developer's blog. Or I didn't see any announcements of, like, hey, we're deprecating on... January first, two thousand and twenty, we are deprecating the use of old API one point zero two, and everybody has switched to API version one point two. Okay. There's no communications like that right now. It doesn't mean it wasn't communicated through email. Like we we there's so much we don't have access to regarding this right. But the things that Zenefits is saying they can't do, I don't see in the documentation for the API either. So I suspect that Zenefits maybe have had some sort of private level access at one time.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And a different level of access that isn't public APIs. Somewhere along the line, they don't agree about the private access. And this is why they provided, hey, it's on our public APIs. Everybody else uses them, right? So there's a disagreement. Oh, this, is a, this is a public negotiation. Is right. What's right. Here. And ultimately the person that suffers is the customer, right? If they wanted to fix this, Both sides can come to the table and figure this out. There's no doubt. They are smart companies. They have have plenty of bankroll VC money to put engineering resources on this. So so this is a dance, right? That's happening. And and, and of course it's going to happen. They're competing with each other, right? For market share, which is fine, right? Like that's obvious. It's a dance. It's happening. The timing of this though is kind of stupid. Scott Orn calls this out.
0: End of the year, yeah.
1: It's the end of the year. Like it's so easy for people to switch payroll companies. On January first,
0: and so if the integration doesn't work anymore, then that's a even better reason for
1: people to switch from Zenefits to Gusto, or vice versa, or vice versa, or switch to a third party payroll product. Right. So, right. And, and Scott Warren calls that out in the the article. Like he's, uh, I think he was talking about like Rippling or the other um, JustWorks. He was talking about like other full blown HR payroll type solutions. Um. So basically, what I just tweeted out was that this is an immature thing. And I'm embarrassed for both companies, and they should figure it out because it just hurts their paying customers. And it's mm-hmm. a very it is circa 2006, 2004 Intuit ADP. And the funny thing about this is Zenefits has already done this dance once with ADP in 2015. ADP shut off all Zenefits access, and they fought and spout and gotten a big argument and blah 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 blah. The same way publicly like this. And if you go really to Zenefits website today. And there's documentation on how to integrate ADPs, products, into Zenefits. So So they'll figure
0: this out. Okay, got it.
1: Interesting. and, And Zenefits has done this dance before. Now, me, if you're coming from my side, I've had to deprecate APIs before. And... When I've done that before, you've had to communicate it. It's communicated in blog sites. It's communicated in emails. Like you're emailing every single person you know at that company. You're cold calling the company sometimes because they didn't open their emails, right? And do whatever you can do to, to communicate that that API is changing and that it's going to be shut off or deprecated. You know, I imagine, I imagine Zenefits is a big enough company and Gus was a big enough company that they had communications. It wasn't like, Oh, like they <laughs> should to into a spam folder somewhere. And nobody knew this was going to happen. And and then really the fact, the giveaway is two spokesmen, like spokespersons spoke right. on this. They, yep. that That's the dead giveaway. This is a PR public PR legal battle that's happening in public.
0: Well, let's hope they sort it out.
1: And that's the thing though. They'll, 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 they'll They'll figure it out and then everybody will win.
0: Perhaps the spirit of the season will bring them together.
1: I mean, and this could be even a bigger thing, you know, like maybe they're going to merge. Maybe that there's discussions laid on the table. Maybe one's going to buy the other one, right? Like, who knows? Like, but, but this is totally a public PR facing battle out there. Well, like I said, I'm burst I... for them.
0: <laughs> Before I get to my top story of the week, shall I read our latest review?
1: Oh, yeah. We almost skipped over that. Darn it. Yeah. Thank you, well, sir.
0: Yeah, you know, we were talking about the breaking news. That was breaking yeah, news. We, we so, got fired
1: up. You, you see, yeah. you get me on these soapbox tangents, and then I, oh, it's I, good. I, I go out of order of the show. There's
0: there's no order to the show. <laughs> it's not like there's structure here.
1: There's We have an outline. It says reviews. <laughs> and then
0: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we can jump around. We can do whatever we want. This is our show. It's right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, there's there a podcast. All right. Yeah. So, reviews. Uh, we got one review from Sellyman. David Leary and Blake Oliver are unboring. I had a recent conversation with a prospect about how the cloud accounting space is, quote, cool, unquote, and fun. He laughed, but not in a good way. David and Blake bring the fun to cloud accounting. The cool kids of our industry listen to cloud accounting podcast because not only do they bring us what's new and exciting to the industry, but they actually make it interesting for people who don't find accounting interesting. A must listen to any accounting professional hoping to build their practice around cutting edge accounting technology. And that is from, we think, Brad Salmanis. Thank you, Brad, for that review. And now let's talk about Amazon and what Amazon has to do with accounting. Black Friday was this past Friday. As we record this, Cyber Monday is tomorrow. And so there are lots of articles these days about Amazon crushing traditional retail, as there are every year around the holiday season, because everyone wonders, is brick and mortar retail going to survive another growing season of online shopping and declining season of in-store shopping?
1: Did you go shopping Friday morning?
0: No way. And my son really wanted to go to the mall because there's this amazing like climbing structure for kids. And we said, nope, sorry, not going to do it. <laughs> um, I, I was
1: up in Phoenix and uh, I had to take the puppy to a vet because the eye was a little eye problem or something. So I was at mm-hmm. 6 a.m. I was driving around to a vet, six thirty seven a.m. And it was – Phoenix had a bad, bad rainstorm. I guess everybody in the West Coast has had this really bad rainstorm go through. And there mm-hmm. was not a lot of traffic on the roads for Phoenix. Oh, so, so I mean, I didn't, I didn't swing by like, you know, a bunch of malls and things, but yeah, they, they didn't have that, uh, that frantic pace out there. That's for sure.
0: So instead of going to the mall, we went indoor miniature golfing, which you might wonder like, why would Los Angeles have anything indoor? And it's because it gets, it actually gets really hot here.
1: We have that in Arizona <laughs> too. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like, golf.
0: it's, it's, it's dark miniature golfing, like neon, like lit up kind of stuff. Pretty cool. Anyway. Back to Amazon. So, Meanwhile, most people are shopping on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So there's this article I spotted in the New York Times called Chasing Amazon, Retailers Are in a Never-Ending Arms Race. And there was one bit here about Amazon that really stuck out to me in the context of accounting firms and, and how accounting firms think versus how Amazon thinks. And I think we can all agree that Amazon is a very innovative company, has <laughs> disrupted a lot of traditional uh, industries, all the way from cloud computing with their Amazon Web Services, uh, which kind of dominates the cloud computing space. And pretty much every app uh, in the cloud accounting space runs on Amazon Web Services, I imagine, uh, at least most of them. Uh, and and of course, their traditional Amazon Prime, like retail, uh, well, not traditional, untraditional, one-day, two-day shipping. Well, Amazon has made this big investment this year in one day shipping, spending billions of dollars on increasing their logistics so that they don't have to rely on FedEx and UPS and the USPS. They can actually deliver packages themselves the last mile so they can take the package from the warehouse in LA out in San Bernardino to my house same day. I will then buy more stuff because I can get stuff quicker. And studies show that if you can get stuff quicker online, you're going to buy more. Rather than going to a a physical store. And what's crazy about this is that if Amazon thought like a traditional accounting firm, Amazon Prime one day shipping wouldn't exist. If if accountants ran Amazon, it wouldn't exist. Why do I say that? Because according to a Morgan Stanley analysis that's cited in this article in the New York Times, a typical order for one day shipping is $8.32. All right, typical order, $8.32. Amazon spends $10.59 to fulfill and ship that order. So the typical order is $8.32, and Amazon spends $10.59 to fulfill and ship it, meaning the company loses money on most of their sales for Amazon Prime one-day shipping.
1: Because if I was an accounting firm, I would calculate every single individual item if it's profitable or not to ship that one item.
0: Right. And then you'd say, oh, it's it's not profitable.
1: So I don't want any sales at all. And I would just never sell anything.
0: Right. So I, well, I would get rid of that line of business. Right. And I would say, oh, I'm not going to do one day. I'll do two or three Ten or four. Days. Or so that'd be
1: cheap. Right. I'd be an accountant going mean, for my, I would do the cheapest way possible. It'll, right. it'll take 15 days shipping, zero customer service. Nobody will be happy about how long it took to ship. Yeah.
0: So this is a classic example of how traditional cost accounting which is what most traditional accounting firms use for tracking profitability on engagements and clients and whatnot, doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Let, let me ask you this. Why is Amazon doing this, David? Why would they lose money on all of these one-day shipping orders? What could possibly be the reason?
1: To keep me staying at home, right?
0: Right. So not only are they crushing their competition this way, they're stealing orders from their competition and weakening them. They are also buying your loyalty, so, they may lose money on these one-day orders, but because you're so happy with Prime one day, which now in many cases we get for free, I'm a Prime member, I get a lot of stuff one day without having to pay any extra. It's just like included in my Prime membership and more and more stuff every, every day gets added to that one-day free shipping. I can buy all the essentials I need and get it in one day. And so, by default, I just go to Amazon or better yet, I order on my smart speaker, my Alexa. And um, I just set it off. Don't say anything, Alexa. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Good thing I'm wearing headphones. David can't order through the computer. I tried. I tried. He tried. Uh, But, you know, better yet, I order through my speaker and I'm not even price shopping at all. I'm just going to Amazon because they give me the best customer experience. And they are not worried about losing money on these small orders because with my loyalty – they make money on all the other orders that are not one day prime
1: so 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 Amazon's using prime one day delivery in the same way grocery stores use that rotisserie chicken,
0: yes, they don't make any money on the rotisserie chicken, but it gets you in the store and then you buy other stuff where they make money same thing uh, but it's it's also I think even bigger than that in that Amazon is spending all this money to build their own delivery fulfillment infrastructure for that last mile from the warehouse to your house. So eventually it will be profitable for them to uh, bring you something probably.
1: Well, they're building a distribution center in like every yeah. major city. I mean, Tucson has a distribution center now. It's every right. major city's getting one. Yep.
0: Right. So they can do this. And I think accounting firms should be thinking this way too, which is don't look at individual orders. Don't look at individual tax returns or individual engagements. And, and maybe don't even look at the whole client actually look at your firm as a whole. Look at the firm because clients don't have costs. Engagements don't even have costs because your cost is people and your people are paid salaries. And that is a firm-wide cost. That's not a cost that can be attributed to a specific client. Even if you use uh, elaborate cost methodology to track their hours and then allocate their hours, to, it's it's all just meaningless, right? And Amazon doesn't do it because it doesn't make sense. So be be like Amazon and it'll enable you to offer like low margin services. So I'm thinking, and this was always the struggle I had in a big firm, which is in a big firm, um, since every engagement has to be profitable, they're trying to maximize profitability on every engagement. The firm spends a lot of energy and time on getting those really big profitable engagements and doesn't want the small ones, which might be bookkeeping a lot of the time. But what they fail to see is that even though bookkeeping may have a very low margin, or none at all, or even lose money, having the client talking to you every month gives you many, many opportunities to upsell additional services, uh, which true. Is the sense. same thing Amazon's doing, so,
1: right? So, so in a way, like uh, you'd want to maybe, I know a lot of people don't do payroll anymore. But it gives you an excuse every week to talk to that company, that person, somebody at that company, that client every single right. week, right?
0: And and find out what's going on and spot growth, right? You can you you see the payroll, you see who they're hiring, you know when they're growing, when they're successful. If their is expanding a lot, maybe it's time to go pay them a visit and see if you can get I don't know, some consulting, which will give you great margins. So that's just a, that's a great example. Don't look at the trees, look at the forest.
1: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel a little behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that's providing payroll for over 30 years in all 50 states. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll with simple, straightforward pricing, and it includes all their features, employee self-onboarding, HR tools, health insurance, workers' comp tracking, and 401k. And with an accountant's dashboard and partner program combined with best in class integrations with Xero and QuickBooks, OnPay is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi state payrolls, and employees with H2A visas. I'm really excited to tell you that OnPay is offering an exclusive promo code only for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast to get three free months of OnPay payroll service for any of your clients that you see. Set up by February of 2020. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/onpay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/forward slash o n p a y, and use code CAP three free when you sign up your clients. That is CAP the number three F R E E. And to be clear, you cannot get this promo anywhere else. It's only available to the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. So I can kind have of a related article that's maybe a counter counterintuitive to what you're saying, right? Because because you're basically telling people, hey, uh, you can't hourly bill and track it all that way; it just doesn't work.
0: Yeah, don't don't try to don't try to maximize the profitability on every engagement.
1: Every engagement. So, um, Calvin Weidler of SmartBooks. I think we've talked about SmartBooks before. Mm-hmm. Um, if we've mentioned Calvin before, anyways. He wrote a. Uh, like a guest blog post on accounting web this week. And the title of the article is How to Know When Fixed Fee Pricing Isn't Working.
0: Hmm. And he Yeah, tell me more.
1: Yeah, it's it's a long, it's a longer article than it's, but it's worth reading. So he lays out basically for the last 10 years of running SmartBooks, which is basically an accounting firm, he's got some a little bit more of engineering tech on it. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of a a forerunner to these new business models we're seeing pop up everywhere, right? And so they they it's, it's outsourced bookkeeping, right? Essentially, what he's doing for um, for small businesses, yeah. and but they and, and they've for, been doing for, it
0: for like a long time, so they're in, in the cloud and remotely, so they're a good um, they're a good case study.
1: Yeah, and then they were using fixed fee billing because they believed it was really predictable and something desired by clients. Mm-hmm. They really thought it could uh, simplify their engagements and avoid friction. And so he kind of goes through you know reasons that. It, It just never worked out as well as they thought it would in their head. Um, He's talking about scope creep.
0: Here's a quote that really sticks out to me. I'm just sort of browsing through the article right now with you, David. He says, quote, one would think that after working with hundreds of clients over a 10-year tenure, that we'd have sufficient ability to successfully price new clients. Unfortunately, that has not been the case. This failure has largely been driven by a few main factors. And then he gets into them.
1: Yeah. Scope creep, employee burnout. Mm -hmm. Your employees can do so much work. But then eventually that higher volume, they burn out. And now you're having to possibly hire a new employee and train new people. And it just takes time to do that. And then you're not as efficient. You know, that negative employee retention just adds up. Um, Larger clients just erode the profitability on those fixed fees. Clients want flexibility. There's friction and misalignment. So he goes on with all these problems that he ran into over his decade of doing this. And the conclusion really in the end is like he's now his firm is actually offering fixed fee pricing still, but they're actually offering the ability if a client would like to choose kind of an open and honest, I'm sorry, not open and honest, transparent hourly billing model.
0: So they're not going away from fixed fee entirely, but they're going to offer hourly billing again.
1: Yeah. They're going to reintroduce hourly billing.
0: I can't believe that going back to hourly billing is the right solution. One of the things you mentioned, employee burnout and large clients eroding profitability—like A lot of that happens when the employee incentives aren't aligned with the firm with the fixed fees, right? So if you're paying employees hourly, but you're billing fixed fees, that can create a problem. So some firms are moving to incentive-based compensation for their employees so that it's based on the book of business that they're working on. Uh, or or a combination of those two. I don't know. Interesting. Well, if you're skeptical if you're listening and you're skeptical of fixed fees uh, or worried that it might not work, then I guess this is an article to check out.
1: And and I could see where like in let's use QuickBooks Live as an example, right? Whatever it's $20 a month. Maybe I'm a small business owner. I'm just tiptoeing the waters here. You know, I've been paying 70 bucks for QuickBooks. Maybe I kind of think like, I don't know, I probably have an hour a month of bookkeeping. Right. Can I just pay you for one hour and pay you forty five bucks? Right. So I could see where maybe clients maybe would try to ask for hourly billing. Right. Cause Mm -hmm. like the fixed fee. They're not used to seeing fixed fee with professional services. Right. Where else do I get to pay a fixed fee?
0: Well, so I think it's fine actually to offer both, but you want to make the hourly billing price less like if if the client does select hourly billing, they'd actually be better off with the fixed fee. They have to pay a penalty, essentially. They have to pay more if they want hourly billing uh, is the idea.
1: Anyways, it's a long article. It's worth checking out. Um, it's I find it just interesting that somebody after like 10 years of using the fixed fee yeah, is like, maybe this is not working for us, right? And and this could be the problem of like scaling services like this, right? Versus yeah. having a lower number of, cl- like a high volume, right? They're, 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 he's all, this is all about scale, right? Right. Um, versus a small number of clients and value pricing. And then he just uh, also talks even about artificial intelligence. The scale never happened. The, this massive, everybody's going to lose their jobs. You know, book, we don't need bookkeepers because artificial intelligence will do all the work. And and you'll eighty, ninety, eighty percent, ninety percent of the work's just going to go away. And it hasn't, right? And so if you had your fixed prices set on this bet that you were going to get more and more and more efficient because of AI, and he's like, it's just not there. It hasn't happened after a decade.
0: Uh, let's see. What else do I have? I have something fun. A guy made a digital drum machine in an Excel spreadsheet. Do you want to hear it?
1: Okay. A guy, or like somebody at the big four? Like, who, who has time for this? Like, who uh, does this?
0: Let's see. This was on dig.com. So I can't.
1: Well, you uh, found this in 1997. I see. <laughs> dig.com.
0: It's just funny. I'll just play this for you.
1: So, so, when you say you're playing to me, are you opening up a spreadsheet, an Excel sheet right now?
0: So this is a YouTube video of the Excel spreadsheet playing the beats.
1: Pretty good, right? Not bad. So you could download this spreadsheet if you'd like? I think so. Uh, It it looks
0: like it's using macros or something. All right, wrap that up. (laughs) It goes on for like 13 minutes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's crazy, 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 crazy.
0: So, the link will be in the show notes if you want to see the full video.
1: It sounds amazing. Like, it's very excited about this. You can do anything with Excel. So, I get an easy, easy kind of fun one. Okay. So, uh, a new survey by Fetch Jobs about the hottest side hustles. What do you think the number one side hustle is right now in America?
0: Well, I know because I tweeted this out.
1: <laughs> oh. I stole your article. Sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was bookkeeping.
1: How is it not podcaster?
0: I, like, it, I mean, because uh, bookkeepers make money and podcasters don't.
1: Okay. No, I see. I uh, I on see. the whole. <laughs> okay.
0: Although, David, how is our dinner fund from the merchandise sales going? We have enough to we're... go out to like tacos maybe?
1: We might be past that. I think we're okay. at like $22 Ste- or something. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, half a
1: steak? We could go to tacos in Tucson. We can't go to tacos in L.A. That's where we're at.
0: We could buy like two tacos in LA, maybe three tacos. Um, yeah, bookkeeper. I saw this. A bookkeeper is the number one side gig, right? Or what did they say? Uh, side hustle. Side hustle. Yeah, and there was actually another accounting job on there too, right?
1: Well, I did find it funny that career coach, career coach, was number two, because my theory is that there's more accounting career coaches than there are bookkeepers, <laughs>
0: like. Well, they coach you how to become a bookkeeper.
1: Exactly. There's a so lot of those why, that are out there. This
0: is number one and number two. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, copy editor, consultant, curriculum writer. Just going down the list. Oh, Suite administrator. Nest Suite administrator, and they make an hourly rate of what was it there?
1: Seventy an hour.
0: That's pretty darn good, right? And senior accountant is on there actually. Um, I guess more and more enough firms are offering part time roles that you can be a uh, part time. That's a side hustle. Accountant. It's, it can be a side hustle. if you say, Let's say you just do it in tax season, 45 bucks an hour right there. So where did, where did this data come from? This came from FlexJobs. Okay. Survey by FlexJobs. So if you want to get out of bookkeeping or accounting, you could look at executive assistant, graphic designer, lead gen specialist, online instructor, photographer, project manager, recruiter, sign language interpreter. Social media marketing specialist, David, there's a job for you. (laughs) You're good at social media.
1: So bookkeeper. That's the
0: number one number
1: one side hustle.
0: Number one side hustle. And that's why Intuit is building QuickBooks Alive, if you ask me. There are not enough bookkeepers to fill the demand for that side hustle. So I'm surprised Uber Driver isn't on there. I guess they don't make enough money, right?
1: Or it's not hot. This is like the hot, this This is is the hot hot list. three years ago, I guess. Everybody's becoming an Uber driver, right? It was a yeah. hot thing. So, two years from now, everybody's going to be a bookkeeper. <laughs> like, you go to parties. What do you do? I'm a bookkeeper. You have to go to the next person at the party. What do you do? I'm a bookkeeper. It's going to be amazing. Like <laughs> Everybody's a bookkeeper. We need to figure out how to, we need to, out how to uh, get them all to listen to the podcast.
0: Well, We, we need, need to, to, to st-
1: ride this wave.
0: We need to start an online bookkeeping company that will do bookkeeping for bookkeepers, right? Because you yeah. don't have the time as a busy bookkeeper to do your own bookkeeping. I think this is a genius idea and we should raise money for it. So actually speaking of raising money, (laughs) I have a story about VCs or a story from a VC. This is called investing in the cloud from gold rush to hunger games and beyond. It was a LinkedIn article posted by Rory O'Driscoll. He's a partner at scale venture partners. And it's a big overview of where he sees cloud Going from the standpoint of an investor investing in cloud startups,
1: he has great graphs or great PowerPoint slides in there.
0: He starts out with the the current situation, which is that cloud company valuations are all time highs, and that cannot possibly be justified by improved company operating performance. But it does make sense given 20 years of consistent 30% growth in the cloud software market, which we have seen from Intuit, from zero, even from Sage when it comes to their cloud computing division. They're all growing 30%. Smaller companies often growing even faster. And that's given investors the comfort to pay a lot of money because you know, when something's been happening for a long time, you think, oh, it's a sure thing. But you know, like any good investor, he says, well, just because it has been happening doesn't mean it always will. And he thinks that within the next two or three years, there's going to be a growth crunch. So cloud markets are saturating. You can't have 30% growth every year uh, without eventually cloud eating up traditional software. And that makes sense. Basically, cloud has been mostly about cloud-based apps eating up uh, the business of on-premises apps.
1: And this goes to so talk about the growth. Like this goes, One of the things we noticed with the Intuit numbers, it was the first time we haven't seen them say how many new units they moved. Of QuickBooks Online, Online,
0: yes, which makes you think maybe the growth is slowing. So what uh, this investor, Rory O'Driscoll, is saying is that the gold rush will become the Hunger Games at some point because the cloud markets will saturate and it will become cloud app versus cloud app rather than cloud app versus on-premises app. So there's a few different winning strategies. If you are a, a software company in the space that you could use in the next few years when this starts to happen. And he thinks this Let's could turn happen. Turn off just,
1: APIs for another app. <laughs> yeah, that's, could one,
0: right? <laughs> that could be one, right? Uh, that could be one. And that's actually, he—he he, that's going heads up, right? Going to battle. So fighting, going head on in the existing cloud market. So that's Zenefits and Gusto going at each other, or it's uh, Zero and QBO really going hard at each other, um, which is kind of starting to happen, right? So he thinks this is, c- can happen as soon as 2021. Uh, that's when the majority of software revenues are going to come from the cloud. In 2021. It will no longer be on prem, so cloud will have won. Right? It's it's a it, the battle is already over at that point for cloud versus on prem, and then it's just a question of cloud versus cloud. So you can either fight, you can focus, you can find the parts of the cloud market where there's still low competition and good growth, right? Find the uh, untapped resources, or lastly, you can fly, which is build a company based on more than just the move to the cloud. So that that's like beyond the cloud, and and what is that? Well. He calls this the Intelligent Connected World, or ICW. What does it really mean? Well, he uses an example, uh, which is very near and dear to our hearts, which is next generation bookkeeping. This is the example in the, at the end of the article for you know what companies could do if they don't want to fight or focus, if they want to do something completely different, they could go after the market for next generation AI driven bookkeeping services for SMBs. So these kind of companies are not replacing the cloud provider. They are sitting on top of the cloud provider, such as QBO, and using AI and connectivity to replace a human bookkeeper with a service powered by a combination of AI and humans for a more cost-effective solution. So the idea is that you skip fighting in the software battle and you just go straight to some function that is being done by humans in the real world and you automate that. And that that is where the true visionary stuff is going to happen, and that's where the you know big dollars are now. So this is validation, I think, David, of, of the stuff we've been talking about uh, from the investor community.
1: Yeah, I, th- I was looking at that article as well, and I thought his uh, the one that really set off for me was his um, grim realities of exponential math, mm-hmm. and and it took takes nineteen years for. SaaS or, you know, a product to get to, you know, 30% market share. But two years later, it hits uh, 50% and two years after that, it's 100%. (laughs) Right. Right? And then that's where we're at in the curve. And if that's the case where we're at, you probably don't want to start a brand new SaaS based payroll company today or a SaaS based timesheet company or SaaS based anything.
0: It's too late. It's it's all going to be divided up by Gusto and Zenefits and uh, with OnPay and right all these yeah they're all going to they, they they've they're already positioned to dominate.
1: So you got to build a new model, which is like what they're doing now. It's like people and SaaS together. Which which who you knows who knows what the new model will be two years from now, right? But you, right. Know, you probably need to be you need to figure out what the next ten or fifteen years is, not what's the next four, because the next four is already done.
0: And the economics of going into real world GDP and and trying to automate what humans are doing makes a lot of sense because instead of, here's the example, instead of fighting over $500 per year versus QBO, you're going after $5,000 a year as a replacement for a $10,000 per year old school bookkeeping service.
1: Interesting. Well, I'm surprised. So this guy's completely, he's an investor, but he's outside our space. But oh, I don't know.
0: I don't know. Maybe he's invested in one of these apps, right? And that would make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, we we could work backwards and figure that out pretty easily because uh, what all these companies like to do is they like to brag about who invested in them. So we could we could easily work backwards and figure out who who, who of the uh, players out here. Yeah, here I'm going to do a Google in.
0: search right now. Scale Venture Partners bookkeeping. Um,
1: it would make book- sense if he invested in Scale Factor because they, <laughs> <scale. laughs>
0: they invested in Bill.com. Okay. scale venture partners did
1: and this goes back to you know we've we talked about before with cryptos live right and the stance of, of zero is taking if we're never going to do anything like this like this is another article that like, you have to do it like you're going to have to do this there's just no way they they have they're eventually going to have to do this like anybody who thinks they're not is well that's where the growth not, is that, yeah
0: the, the growth opportunity is an automating human activity
1: if they're a private company i would believe it but they are they have shareholders they have a fiduciary responsibility to keep growing
0: to maximize their growth yeah
1: that's a good find it's uh it's cool that, that, that the examples he's giving is an industry is our industry so uh, sage acquired a, uh, another acquisition from sage they acquired um, cake HR HR software payroll right it ties into payroll it's uh you know hiring your employees the onboarding all that type of stuff um, hiring raises Similar to what Zenefits is offering, similar to what Gusto is offering now, a lot of the, pay- the providers doing it. They're only in right now the UK and Australia, and that's it right now. But apparently the way it's structured, reading the, the um, articles, apparently it's set up to scale very well to other regions and other countries. They just have not launched in other countries before. And, you know, so this so is where it's a good pickup for Sage because Sage has Sage products in lots of different regions of the world. And
0: my first question was going to be, didn't they just make an acquisition and turn that into Sage People? But this is not for the same market. Sage People is more for the mid-market and KKHR is going to be for their small business offering.
1: Exactly. And one of the articles actually calls that out. They're like Sage Accounting plus Sage Payroll plus Sage KKHR is their small business suite. And then they have Sage Intact, Sage Payroll, and Sage People, and that's their enterprise level mid-market suite. And so they're building the exact same suite at two levels. And the other thing that was news, I think, last week and we didn't really pick it up on it. Um, is they sold off their their payments division. They had something called Sage Pay mm-hmm. and they they sold that off to another company to focus in on this full stack.
0: So they're really focusing right. on the accounting plus HR plus what was the other thing? Oh payroll. payroll. Gotcha.
1: And then that stacks nicely, right? Between the the what their business offering. They have the same offering now for small business and the same offering for Enterprise, different products, but now they can start building up expertise. Right? There's probably things Sage uh, KKHR does, that Sage People does, and vice versa. And They'll start to be able to pull features down and push features up. Um, The other thing to call out here, and this ties back to the first thing we talked about, is KKHR is an open API, so they connect to Sage Payroll and they connect to other payroll products. um,
0: Yes, but for how long?
1: (laughs) That's that's, (laughs) yes, exactly. And and unfortunately, my gut, my gut tells me the pendulum's going to swing. To people moving a little bit away from open APIs in the short term. Well, like you know, that it's Kidd funny. Me that. Matt Matt Paff kind of wrote about yeah. that as well, and and this article you just brought up about the.
0: Yep. You know, it's funny. It's it's like when you, at first, when you started talking about this weeks ago, maybe even months ago, I was very skeptical. I'm thinking, oh, David is, <laughs> David is sounding the alarm. You know, the sky is falling. It's all going to, you know, no, it's not going to happen. But this article we just. You know, which is very persuasive talking about how it's going to become cloud versus cloud in the next, gosh, it's what it's turning 2020 in a month. So we're talking in a year or two, we're going to hit almost total saturation of the market because everybody's going to move from on-prem to cloud. Well, then if these cloud companies are going to battle with each other and then they're doing acquisitions and they're creating their own suites, then yeah, there is an possible incentive to for foul play or not foul play, but just hardball.
1: Well, everybody's getting in each other's lanes, right? Bill.com and products that were just bill payment, right? There's a stack of those apps and they just did bill payment. But now a lot of the uh, credit card apps, the prepaid credit card guys, they're starting to do uh, bill payment. And I'm sure it's only a matter of time until Bill.com has an expense or a credit card app, right? Yeah. So like, they're getting in each other's lanes. And if they keep getting in each other's lanes, even though they, were, they used to work together and they cooperated, they're going to be competing now more directly. Mm-hmm. And they, it's only going to be natural that not everybody is going to be cool and kosher and like, you know, hey, man, we should have open APIs. Yeah. Like it's, this is a risk yeah. that's going to happen. And it's it's. I think it's risky for accounts and bookkeepers because how do you pick the right tech stack now if there's risk of you pick a solution that all of a sudden gets closed down? Well, I
0: think if you are... Having to decide now, you try to pick a solution that isn't going to get disrupted in the future, or pick a stack that isn't going to be a problem. So, you know, as much as Zero says Hubdoc's always going to be open and we're going to work with QuickBooks, uh, I would take that with a grain of salt. So, if you're on if you're on a QuickBooks, you know, if you've standardized on QuickBooks as your GL, maybe you don't want to pick a competitor's product to do your OCR. That's I mean, that's the way to be safe about it.
1: Yeah, or you have to just run with multiple stacks. And right. Yeah. Or, or you, I, yeah. I, I,
0: yeah, which is it's impossible. I I don't think you can scale a business that way. So and, you have to and choose. Shame
1: on the industry, please, please, industry. I know you're listening. Do not head down this path. It, it's bad for everybody. It's bad for you. Well, like ultimately.
0: And I, I I think that what you're saying is very noble and good. But I mean, in the end, <laughs> economics will dictate whether this happens or not. It's you know inevitable.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll for see. Sure.
0: We'll we'll, um, we'll keep following this. Uh, that's all I've got for this week. How about you, David?
1: Oh, a little update on banks. Remember, we talked about banks all this time, and every all the tech companies trying to become banks.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we've been talking about that for a while.
1: And I, and we were even talked about how like last week or the week before how Walmart gave up. Like this this story's been done before. Well, Robinhood, which we've spoken about before, they have a like an online investing app, and they've been mm-hmm. trying to pursue a bank charter. They gave up this week. They're There's like we're not going to try to become a bank anymore. They just gave up.
0: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, right? Everybody else has been failing, why would they? <laughs> why would they succeed? And also they we've covered them before and I'm just searching our archives.
1: Well, they 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 jumped the gun on some banks trying to be a bank before and they kind of broke some rules. Yeah,
0: okay. So, yeah, this does not surprise me at all. They uh, they launched their bank accounts before they even got uh, <laughs> approved to do it. This was bad, right? They they had launched checking and savings accounts before they were even um, insured.
1: Yeah, like, and oh, they they yeah. they yeah, so they they were already on the the radar. Yeah, there's um, no way there's no the way the regulators are
0: going to let them like off of that and give them yeah. Because f- I
1: think if you start on the naughty list, you can't move over. Yeah, like like you're in trouble. Yeah, so that was back in July. Yeah, yeah, they gave up on that. I think we can save this from for next week and we can deep dive in it. Is uh, there's a remote work report from Zapier? Oh, yeah. So we'll choose it for next week.
0: And I've got a bunch of stories about remote work, so maybe we'll like have a themed episode. We can just start with that. That'd be great.
1: And then um, I had some notes on there. There's an article about uh, payday loan companies. And we've talked about some of these before, and this ties into try- everybody's trying to attack banks or become banks, et cetera. So this one's about, um, the title of the article is, can Silicon Valley remake the payday lending industry? Right, And, it, it, and you're really in on that company earning, which will let you sync to your timesheets, right? And get paid every day. And we've we've talked about these companies before, right? Um, Employees can get instant paydays, right? Or get their paycheck two days early, right? We've talked about this before. And, you know, the article talks about how existing payday loans stores, right? You know, you're paying 600% interest a year. Mm -hmm. But these new apps aren't really subject to Truth in Lending Act because they're not giving technically a loan out. You kind of do it as like tips, Right, and so if you're a generous tipper, you could actually wind up paying 365% interest a year if you're a generous tipper, and not even know you're doing it, right? Um, and then you give up a lot of hidden cost as far as like you're connecting them to your bank accounts; they can see your transactions, even though they don't do quote unquote collections. They can just withdraw the money whenever they th- think you have the money, right? You're giving you the, the payday lender; you might get the loan, but they can't get access to your bank account mm-hmm. and take money out. Right, and so there's there's, there's the article goes into like there's just hidden cost in this, and the the radar's starting to be turned on on these other companies, right? Like they might not be as perfect as they come out to seem, and so it's just something to keep an eye on, uh, especially if you're doing payroll, your small business owner has employees like this that are using these services. Just be aware that you know they're
0: so. Is this something that a business owner would sign up for? or Can employees just do it on their own?
1: I think the employees just do it on their own.
0: Oh well, then there's really nothing uh, that we can do about it, right?
1: Oh, as far as a bookkeeper goes, yeah. Or an I mean, I,
0: yeah, I'm just trying to figure out like what is the tie into uh, bookkeepers accounts. Like, what does it have to? What? It, how do? How do? What can we? Do I mean, about in it?
1: the the, I mean, in the olden days, like people used to, they would sometimes give a payday loan to their employees just as the company would. Yeah. You'd give an employee in advance, right? Yeah. So you can do something about it. You could pay your employees more frequently. There's lots of things that could be done. Mm-hmm. But but it's just this is like it's just something to be aware of. Because it seems like it's, oh, this magic tech solution, and maybe it's not, right? You know, it's kind of um, ties back to that other article from two weeks ago, you know, like it or not, you're just still broke. (laughs) Like you can have all the apps you want, but you're still broke. I think that's about it for this week.
0: That's all I got. Uh, Until next week, where can people find you online, David?
1: Um, You can track me down on all the socials. I'm at David Leary. And I am at Blake T. Oliver. And the Cloud Accounting Podcast is on all the socials, including Instagram you now as well.
0: We actually had some comments from people saying that we look different than they imagined. <laughs> Which I, I don't
1: know. I could Connect, somebody thought, yeah, they, they imagined I was, my, your voice was going to come out of my body when they yeah. met me. So I'm sorry I disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I look like this and I have a crappy voice. Like, that's the way it is. Um, oh, merch store. Mm-hmm. The limited edition cassette tape shirts are only on sale till December 12th. So you have to order it by December 12th. They just go away. That's it. And then we'll come up with some other cool shirts maybe. Hands, hands.
0: Sounds good. Well, until next week, David, great talking. And I'll see you then.
1: Bye, everybody.